That was wonderful. Thank you both. <clears throat> Good morning, church. Good morning to all of you who are online today and at a later time as you watch the recording. We are glad that we can connect and gather for worship together. My name is Rockford Johnson. It's a joy to serve with you in this mission we have to bring hope and redemption to the world. Thank you for being among us today. Let's remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The ushers are passing the connection pads here. Leave us your name, please, today. And if you're visiting with us uh, for the first time or one of the first times, we invite you to complete a Welcome Connect card here in the house and leave it with me or one of us as you exit. We have a gift bag for you, and we're glad you're among us today. Also, um, online, if, you're, this is, if this is your first time to connect, we hope that you'll contact us through our website at mcfarlandumc.org. Let us know how we can pray for you always. Uh, there are cards for that, uh, care uh, ministry cards in the pew, and we can, you can go to our website front page uh, to the prayer request button on, at mcfarlandumc.org. We have several things going on. One to make note of is our annual routine charge conference uh, takes place this year with other churches at Moore First United Methodist Church on October 9 from 2 to 5 p.m. And if you want to come, you can come to that. Uh, our administrative council are the members of the charge conference and we'll vote on officers for next year and vote on clergy compensation, the two things that we're required to vote on at a charge conference. If you don't understand that, it's Methodist talk and uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> There's nothing out of the ordinary going on at, those, at that event. Um, <clears throat> you can uh, find the QR code online or on your bulletin and scan that with your phone and it will take you to our page that shows you all the things going on around the church like the upcoming third grade Bible presentations, um, sausage sale for the, by the men, pancake dinner, grandparent summit, and of course today lunch on the lawn with carnival games and food trucks and peach cobbler. So we hope you'll stay for that after this worship service or if you're online, as soon as I finish preaching and the organ stops, jump in your car, come join us. Today we finish our series called Love Is. Our focus today, Love Is Mature. Let's stand to sing number 126, Sing Praise to God Who Reigns Above.
you will find the affirmation of faith printed in your bulletin or on the screen. And so let us join together in professing the story of God's love as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.
is my joy that Neil and Ashley Sherman have come forward with their daughter, Mary May, uh, for baptism, but also to make a profession of faith and to become uh, official members of McFarland. They have been very active uh, for a while now, and so they are coming to make that official. And so I have a couple of questions, Neil and Ashley, for you. As members of Christ Universal Church, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries? And as members of McFarlane, will you be loyal to God and will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? Amen. Uh, we are going to present you with the Bible at the end of the service, since you have your hands full right now. Um, but we are so glad um, that you have uh, become members of this congregation. Hello, Miss Mary May. Good morning. So, congregation, I would invite you to open your hymnals to page 39 uh, as we enter into this baptismal covenant. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. And Neil and Ashley, I ask you all on behalf of the whole church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Will you nurture Mary May in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example she may be guided to accept God's grace for herself, to profess her faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? And do you, as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? We do. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include Mary May now before you in your care. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround Mary May with a community of love and forgiveness that she may grow in her service to others. We will pray for her that she may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. And now on page 41. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. 
He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations, his glory among all the people. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless the gift of water and Mary May who receives it to wash away her sin and clothe her in righteousness throughout her life, that dying and being raised with Christ, she may share in his final victory. All praise to you, Eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. Mary May, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I'll invite you all to lay hands on. Mary May, may the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And may you always hear God say to you, Mary May, you are my beloved child with whom I am so pleased. Amen. Congregation, let's sing to Mary May this morning. We give thanks for Mary May. Let us look at the top of page 43. Now it is our joy to welcome our new sister in Christ. Through baptism, you are incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. We are all one in Christ Jesus. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you as a member of the family of Christ. Let us pray together. Oh, holy God, we give you thanks for Mary May and her life and the fact that she is your daughter. And this is her church. And so, God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to walk with her as she begins this lifelong journey with you. And God, we pray for Neil and for Ashley and for the whole family as they surround her with love and with care. And God, we are just reminded that you love us from the beginning, that you know us and you love us in the womb and 
You love us and you call us from before the moment of our first breath. You love us when we first see the light of day. And you love us in our growing and you hold us as we take our first steps. You love us and you walk beside us as we explore the world with eager hands and eyes. And you love us, O oh God, as we mature and seek our way. And you love us as we become aware of the world around us, as we smile and play. And even as we say no and when we begin to stray, God, we thank you for loving us when we are unloving and for caring for us when we are uncaring and for calling to us when we go far away. O oh Lord, hear our prayers of love this day for the Shermans and for all of those around us, for those we have held before you in our thoughts and our prayers. We ask that you would bless and keep them as only you can. And we ask all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. And together we pray the prayer that he taught us, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and would love to invite any children who are here today to come forward for our children's moment. And as you come, we have a wonderful video to share with our children teaching us what love is. When they do something wrong or, or something that you really don't like? Maybe when they've done something hurtful to you and it's hard to forgive them. If they're being rude or if they're not really being nice at all. When I'm in fights with my siblings. Like when you're upset or sad. When they're disrespectful and being mean. Me and... Uh, a friend of mine, we kind of disagree on stuff, and we're just like, ah, we just need to take a, take a little minutes away from each other like that. So I usually just go somewhere quiet and just close the door and just take like maybe 20 minutes or so to just take deep breaths and say, Lincoln, you know what this means? You can just zen out, just go talk to him, make it even. Um, well, I just find ways to love them. I try to just get over of the rudeness and think of it as happiness. When we're in fights, it's kind of like really hard because um, it's, it, it's just really hard to be nice to them. Usually um, the right thing to do is just to say sorry, even if you're the one who's right. 
Well, good morning to the children here, to the children online, and to all of you children at heart, and especially to Mary May, her first children's message. I want you this morning to meet Barney. Barney was my teddy bear growing up. I loved, and actually I still do, love Barney. Barney went everywhere with me. He was not only my companion, but I took care of him. He would sleep next to me at night, um, and I would always make sure to keep track of him. As a matter of fact, my parents tell a story about when I was three or four years old, we were on a family vacation in California, and Barney got left behind at the restaurant we had breakfast at. Now, this is way before cell phones, so we had to go out of our way um, and go back and get Barney because there was no way that I was going to leave Barney. I loved Barney and still do so much. And I, you know, I, thinking about how much I loved Barney, I think about some stories in the Bible. I think about stories where Jesus talks about and shows us how to love other people. I think about those passages of Scripture that talk about loving people. I think about some of the things I've learned watching the video that some of you were on telling me about what it means to love and how to love in difficult times. And I am reminded that we are called to love we're called to protect. We're called to care for each other. We're called to even be nice and to love those people who maybe we don't always like. Because let's face it, sometimes in our lives there's people we just don't like very much. But I want you to think this week about how God calls each and every one of us to love. Just like you. Do you all have teddy bears? Do you all have a special stuffy or a teddy bear or a doll or some? A million of them? Yes. Oh. Just think about how much you love your teddy bear and how much God is calling you to love people that you come into contact with every day just like you love them. Okay? Can we do that this week? Or anything. Yes. Stuff. Let's pray. I love it. Thank you, God, for this day. And thank you, Lord, for all of the ways that you teach us how to love, to care for each other. Help us, God, to do it even when it's really, really difficult. And watch over us and help us to be loving, caring people in everybody that we come in contact with this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, you guys, for coming up here this morning. You can go back and sit with your family. Please stand and join us in singing hymn 408, The Gift of Love, 408.
we have been called to speak and to live out this radical and abiding love of God in the world. And we do so by offering all that we are and all that we do, all that we have, knowing that God will use our gifts to bring love and hope and peace to this world. And so may God bless our tithes and our offerings today. You may be seated.
be seated. Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. Hear these words. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to mention uh, briefly this stole I'm wearing. We wear stoles as a symbol of the servant's towel and the mantle of ministry and this was made woven by Julie Marks Blackstone. Um, she was in on the church I served in Shawnee, and we attended her funeral service yesterday. Um, it, it, she wove this and then and gave it to me. And you know, the weaving reminds me of the way the love of God weaves our lives together in the church, and that has been the topic of our preaching over these last seven weeks. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for your love that comes to us so strong and effective, redemptively, in Jesus Christ. As we gather around these words of Scripture today, we pray that your Spirit would guide our thinking and our feeling together, and we might have understanding. And so we invite you deep into our lives in these moments. In the name and the way of Jesus, amen. It was summertime in northeast Texas in the small town of 17 houses and four churches. And the three of us stood just behind the small church building over a small matchbox wrapped in pretty fabric for a solemn occasion. I had been assigned to pray by my five-year-old son, Micah. And during the planning of the memorial service, he had assigned the preaching role to himself and put his almost four-year-old sister in charge of the hymn to be sung. Inside the nicely wrapped box was a beautiful small butterfly that had come to the end of its brief life. And when it came time to sing, Katie started singing a song that she felt provided the heartfelt joy and gratitude for the moment. She led us in jingle bells. <laughs> Micah preached a few sentences. I prayed, 
and all was appropriate for that moment of memorializing God's delicate, winged creature of beauty and joy. Decades later, when it came time to memorialize her, her dear grandmother, that adult, intelligent woman, no longer little child Katie, Kate, chose, of course, not Jingle Bells, but she wrote and read a poem as part of the music of the day. It was a touching and mature reflection on the relationship that they had had over the years in celebration on that day. Paul writes to the Corinthians explaining how love must behave in a mature way. When I was a child, he says, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. So using himself as an example of common human experience, he's making the point that loving others in the complexity of interpersonal relationships, whether person to person or a person within a group or a family or one group relating to another group, loving others requires thinking and reasoning that is mature, adult, seasoned with resilient love. In particular, Love that is mature in behavior is love that knows three things. One, that knowledge is vulnerable rather than completely durable. It ceases, it ends, he says, or what was known gives way to what is more fully known. Secondly, knowledge is always until eternity partial, fragmentary. We know only in part. In need of completion by the help of others and the guidance of the Spirit. And three, knowledge, knowing, and claiming to know is of lesser value than love, loving, and acting to express love. At other places in this same letter to the Corinthian families in the Corinthian church, Paul highlights what he sees as their lack of immaturity, or lack of maturity. He names it in the way that they divide up over competing loyalties about leaders who have been at their community of faith and over differing convictions about, about a variety of things. In particular, in chapter 8, he explains how knowledge claims can be divisive and hurtful to the relationship, to the health of the relationships of connected people. He is telling them that love is the better guide. To make his point, he uses their debate over who is right about the acceptability of going out to dinner or getting take-home from the idol temples in Corinth. Idol temples had community meals. And he talks about this in chapter 8. So like other temples to other gods, the temple for the god of healing, Asclepius, 
in Corinth had three dining rooms, each with the capacity to seat 11 people. Animals were sacrificed to such gods and meals prepared that were probably mainly social community occasions, but they also had this religious element. Now, we know only in part, but what we do know is that some of the Corinthians were eating such idol-dedicated meat, perhaps even in those dining rooms at those meals. Or more likely, perhaps, some of them were getting it from the meat shop down the block a ways, where the excess meat would be sold at a reduced cost. The debated convictions were complex, dealing with levels of conscientiousness and liberty, caution and freedom, related on one side and on the other to their different backgrounds and experiences. The Jewish Christian influence would abhor any idle connectedness at all, while Gentile converts may not have had the same tradition. On the other hand, Gentiles might recall shameful experiences when they had, before their conversion, gone to idol festivals and those meals and perhaps had even taken advantage of prostitutes that were part of those festivals. Another issue that's addressed in this letter. And so, they would be even more repulsively against that tainted mutton than their Jewish Christian counterparts who may have not had that experience. So let's imagine two of these Corinthians in their version of a church fellowship hall, covered dish dinner, all the dishes there, olives and pita bread and tabbouleh. We are in the Mediterranean world after all. Goat cheese. It's all set out on the table like we do when we have Sunday school dinners. And two guys are in line and one says, hey Aristobulus, Try this meat I smoked. I got a great deal. It came from the temple to Asclepius. That's some really high-dollar meat. And it's so tender. Athanasius, you fool. Get that dirty stuff out of here. I'm not surprised at you. You think like Paul. You think those idols are nothing, but I don't like it. Well, that reflects what Paul says in the letter. I don't know about those two guys. That's not in the letter. He's saying this is sacrilege. And so some reason one way, saying we know idols are not real gods, and so you can eat this meat, it's not really polluted, and others were offended when they when they found that that meat showed up, let's say, at a church dinner. To try to solve that complicated problem, Paul begins not with the problem itself, but addressing how they think and feel about what they know, claim to know, and how they feel about and relate to each other. Actually, he says, stop focusing on what you know as the leading way 
to solve this. Turn your energy to loving each other by practicing deference. I imagine Paul kind of shaking his head as he's writing this letter because he's heard about this issue and he, and he says, quote, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Then he goes on, anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. He is saying that although everyone knows something, no one person or faction knows everything. That is what children claim. That is childish thinking and reasoning, to think that we, I, know fully and completely everything there is to know about something as if we could see it from the point of view of the God of the universe. And that itself borders on idolatry. Immature thinking that know-it-all or know-it-fully claim tends to be rooted in feelings, assumptions, and self-desire to be right even, at, you know, while we do know something, of course. Feelings and their related assumptions have a way of causing us to decide what we think. You see, it was the interplay of little Katie's feelings about the death of the butterfly and her feelings about that song that was dear to her little heart and resonated with the experiences she had had in the family that caused her to think that that song was the perfect song for honoring that delicate little flutterer. Everyone in each of our families, in our, in our Sunday school classes, in school classes, in our workplaces, in our workout places, even when we gather to watch sports, I shouldn't mention that today, or go out to eat with other couples or families or co-workers, everyone has somewhat different, differing experiences, attitudes, convictions, and different levels and pieces of the puzzle of all that can be known. As Paul says, we know only in part. Like looking into an ancient mirror, he says, made of polished metal, not glass. There's a lack of full clarity, only a dim reflection, he says, of what can be known. We each have a piece of the puzzle. Each knows something that if we lovingly share and piece it together moves us closer to solving whatever cloudy riddle or enigmatic contentiousness there is among both us and the people in our circles of people. We are mature when we admit we know only in part. We are mature when we defer to each other, leading with love, then pursuing knowledge as time unfolds and what is known becomes more clear by concerted effort. In the meantime, 
Love before knowledge means that one person curbs their freedom while the other person expands their awareness. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 8. Mature thinking reserves judgment and opens itself to learning from others who also have a piece of what can be known. Mature persons think clearly, they face the facts, and separate default feelings, assumptions, and presuppositions from conscious effort to learn and to know more of the reality and truth. They don't dismiss all that, but they are able to distinguish what is what. Juvenile-like thinking tends to be under the control of default feelings of either, on the one hand, disgust, or delight, depending on what you think about the particular topic at hand. A few years ago, I read a book called, and the word's kind of hard to pronounce, The Juvenilization of American Christianity by Thomas Burglar. He contends that over the last 50 years or so, the church has regressed in some ways toward immaturity characterized by widespread spiritual immaturity, consumerism, self-centeredness popularizing a feel-good faith with too little theological literacy. He defines juvenilization as, quote, the process by which the religious beliefs, practices, and developmental characteristics of adolescence became accepted as appropriate for Christians of all ages, resulting in what he calls a Christianized version of adolescent narcissism. Ouch! That really is a severe pinch to the degree that it's true. And that, that of course, also is debated. Some degree of such juvenilization is what Paul is critiquing. Knowledge governed by what each of us most wants to be true and thinking we know all there is to know about some question or contention, meaning of course that we think others don't know, that's that kind of thinking. Therefore, we divide up and work against each other rather than maturely cooperate for the greater goal, whether that's in our family, the greater goal of family health and unity, etc., or in the church. In the case of the church, the greater goal, of course, is the mission of God to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, as we say, changing lives that change the world and the greater value of love, which, he says, is the greatest. The same dynamics play out at home. It plays out when we're working with others and even in conversations about politics or business. 
So how do you solve a complex problem or issue in a way that puts love in the lead and places knowledge as the necessary but secondary assistant? Well, first we need to recognize that there are two kinds of problems. Many of you would know this kind of language. There are clock problems and cloud problems. In his book, The Way Out, The Way Out of Polarization, Peter Coleman borrows that distinction from philosopher Karl Popper. So like a clock or a mechanical device, clock problems are regular, orderly, and therefore predictable and predictably fixed, solved with that particular limited specific knowledge of how a clock works. Clouds, by contrast, are irregular, disorderly, and therefore unpredictable. Although meteorologists now know much about clouds and what they do and can do and under what circumstances they do this or that, still, from my experience, as I watch Oklahoma City prophets of the weather, and they watch their radar and they get reports from their storm chasers, the clouds still seem to have a mind of their own as to when they will send a tornado roaring across the ground in a fury of destruction and when they will suck it back up into the sky where the lightning is flashing and the thunder's rolling. They are not fully predictable. We still know only in part. Machines are clock problems. People and our relationships, families, churches, organizations, societies, states, even nations, even though we know much about human dynamics and psychology and sociology, they are cloud problems, feeling-based. Knowledge-claiming humans tend to get wrapped up into some wickedly complicated and seemingly intractable problems, churning cloud problems. Current political and cultural debates fueled by competing knowledge claims and adversarial passions and feelings easily spin churches and our body politic into wickedly complex polarizing storms that cause some to run for shelter and others to enter the chase to win. You could observe that children tend to run for cover or run into the conflict. But we who are mature, we lead with love. We stay engaged and we refuse to demonize or demean the other person. Peter Coleman outlines a way to resolve cloud problems what he offers, I think, can be used in small groups and families and organizations and even political uh, arenas. Very close to what the Apostle Paul advocates, I think, in saying that we must maturely admit we only know part of what there is to know. Coleman contends that first we need to change our mindset of how such hard problems, divisions are solved. Change our theory of change, he says. Whether it's chronic friction between spouses 
or decades of debate among caucuses or parties or factions. We need to think different, he says. Seek to understand and address the many forces in the past and in the present in that context that are giving rise to this cloud problem. Put an end to childlike claims of knowing everything and let the spirit of grace and wisdom help develop the ability to understand the nature of the context that gives rise to such persistent kinds of trouble. Let the Spirit increase our capacity to work with the flow of forces, with the voices of other persons, and with the findings of fresh knowledge, because working with rather than working against, even when we disagree on what we think, what we think we know, working with builds up love that is constructive and can help us work toward understanding and even agreement or cooperation. We must honor the reality that there is wisdom in the conversation among us, that there is what Coleman calls, and the Apostle Paul affirms, collective agency. collectively taking responsibility together and taking action, emphasizing that we need each other to know and to know what to do because each of us has only partial piecemeal knowledge. Paul says we know only in part. Together we learn more and better, especially remembering that only God has the eagle's eye view of the whole thing. We must keep learning to listen deeply, dialogue lovingly, and stay in the conversation resiliently. See last week's sermon on forgiveness and resilience. That is the way of the Christ-like love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, the love that never ends, as Paul says so clearly the love that refuses to harm, refuses to leave, and resolves to work it out. Love is a champion of the grand middle way of the preservation of covenant and of the value of unity. Love is forgiveness repeatedly renewed. Love mounts up with wings like eagles to see more of the larger context and the longer view. When Paul soars on the wings of poetic and rhetorical excellence writing this famous chapter on love, when he champions love above knowledge in chapter 8 and love beyond even faith and hope, in this chapter, Paul is rising up to say that those who can live compatibly together, knowing that each of us knows only in part, are those who dare to hold relationships together, dare to love first and be right secondly, and dare to live together with differences while sharing the essentials of faith and hope. Such persons are convinced absolutely and always that while faith and hope are essential, love is 
the greatest. Knowledge makes us proud, he says. Love makes us humble. Knowledge claims can drive us asunder. Claiming love can cause us to flourish and thrive despite any fire and thunder. So to let Paul have the last word. Now faith, hope, and love remain these three, and the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. We are grateful that in whatever unloveliness we have done or been or feel, that your love is greater, O God. And we pray that we might live this love, that we might speak this love, that we might behave this love for our lives and for the world. In the name and the way of Jesus, amen. Friends, sisters, and brothers in the faith, we have a story. We have a message. And it's this message, in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, that the love of God is here for the world. There's a nation, there are nations out there, there's a world out there that needs to know this way. They need to see a church and a people and families who exhibit and behave and demonstrate and give witness to the power of this love that believes and bears and hopes and endures and never fails. That is our witness. We have a story to tell to the nations. Would you stand to sing number 569 and let God call you wherever God wants to call you. If we can help you answer questions or just talk about things, be a disciple, call us, call me, let's talk.
What a joy to receive you all as new members and to baptize. Here's the Bible for you and your family. Welcome. If you care to, we invite you to walk out with us, or if you prefer to stay here, you can do that as well. And now may the God of all hope fill you with such joy and peace in believing that hope may abound in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.